0: words of Pastor Roy it's been a great morning already hasn't it been just a wonderful time already this morning due to the nature of this morning's service we thought it'd be good to give an introduction to our speaker it's kind of a little bit odd how to say this but uh, he's not a guest speaker because he actually joined our church last Sunday so we can't call him a guest speaker but he's been attending here Ron and Paulette for probably a little over a year something like that but we thought we should give you just a little information about him one of my earliest recollections of Ron, and probably my earliest, was when I was a young boy growing up at Bethel. I still remember the evening service, I believe it was, when Paulette, his wife, who I don't even know if they were married at that time, but she stood up in front of the Bethesda Church family and recommended Ron for membership. I think I got that story pretty straight, but I, as you know, years pass, you kind of forget some of the things, but I kind of remember that. That's the first time I remember Ron. But Ron was born in Huron, he went to a country school and he graduated from Yale. That's Yale High School, not Yale University, but he graduated from Yale like many of you in here probably did. He graduated from Huron College with a degree in psychology and then from USD with a master's degree in counseling. He taught school and was a counselor and assistant coach for some years. For about 20 years then, Ron took over the family farm north of Yale and I had quite a few interactions with Ron and Paulette during those years and they were on the farm also. He sold insurance for several years and is still an adjuster for an insurance company. Ron has two children, Leah and Andrew, Leah and Keith, and three grandchildren, Andrew, Anna, Ava, and also a son Tracy Paul. I'm sure Ron will tell you more about himself through this morning's topic and so with that I just want to welcome Ron to the pulpit and let's just give him a round of applause as he comes forward.
1: Bless you, brother. Thank you, Darrell. Good morning. I have to correct him on a couple of things. Uh, I joined Bethel Church and not Bethesda, I think he said. That was the first go-round, and now I've joined this church. I can't help but get excited when I see a young person, a child, being dedicated. Whenever I meet a, a new, newborn, and I talked to the parents, I can't help but think through that love, they have created a child. That child has a soul, and that soul will live forever. And it's their obligation to make sure that that child lives in the kingdom of God forever. What an awesome responsibility. Not only the parents, but the grandparents and those who are around. i want to talk to you this morning in three different areas. I'm going to talk to you about my story for God's glory. And then I want to talk about the power of prayer. And then I'd like to talk about the tips for surviving tragedy. It was in the fall of the year. The smell of harvest was everywhere. And there was excitement because it was harvest time. Farmers were getting up early. They had to do their chores and get to their various thrashing jobs. And so it was a happy time. A time where they got together and had lots of conversations, lots of good meals. And there was one farmer in particular that got up especially early because they were coming to his place to thrash. He wanted to be ready. And so as he got ready to do his chores, there were a few clouds coming overhead. And his wife said, well, maybe you should wait until the clouds pass and then you can go out and milk and we can get ready. He said, no, I I think I'll get the chores done. And so it was he went out and milked the cows, finished, was chasing the cows out the barn, around the windmill and out to the gate where the pasture was. When out of this small cloud came a flash of light and a thunder that rattles the windows, for miles around. Two neighbors across the road heard that, and they came running, and as they got to the road and further, they could see that there were three cows laying on the ground. And the closer they got, they could see that these cows were moving, and finally they got up and took off and off to the pasture. But they soon saw this farmer laying on the ground. Still, no movement. So they quickly picked him up and took him into the porch and laid him in the porch. And it was there that he saw a black mark on his temple with blood coming out his eyes. That man was my father. Abraham Widener. Age 29. And in the house were three kids. Two boys, Quentin, age 6, Larry, age 4, and Deanna, age 3. And the woman that knelt by his side was my mother, Edna Hofer-Widener. And the child that she'd been carrying for seven months inside of her was yours truly. Tragedy struck our family that day, and it changed forever the lives that we were to live in ways that we couldn't even imagine. Well, what do we do when tragedy strikes? How do we react? What's our response? A lot of people will respond in a way where they will go to the left and drink from the well. The well of misery, the well of hatred, of anger and resentment. They'll shake their fist at God, how could you do this? Why did this have to happen? And they'll keep drinking from that well for all of their life. And that Drinking from that well will take from them the joy and the happiness that they might have had. And that misery will permeate through their entire life. But there's another choice that we can make. We can drink from the other well where the water is cold, it's clear, and it's sweet, and it's satisfying. And that's from the water of the Holy Spirit. And only that spirit can comfort you and satisfy you and get you through some things. Well, I know that God's word has much to say about that. Jeremiah, when he was speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah, and was trying to get them to realize that they were headed in the wrong direction. They had forgotten about God, and he knew what pitfalls were going to come the Babylonians were coming to take them into captivity and he said in, song, or in uh, Jeremiah 2.13 he said for my people have committed two evils they have forsaken me the fountain of living waters they cut off that source which was supposed to give them comfort and peace and contentment in whatever was happening in their life And Jeremiah saw that. In the second part of that verse, he said, "Uh, Thou hast hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Well, what does that have to do with life? Well, beloved, I think you and I oftentimes think that we're storing up things in life that'll get us through some trying times. Maybe we think it's our money. It's our job. It's our family. Maybe it's our 401k. But all these things will get us through in life, no matter what it is that happens. But Jeremiah was saying, well, it's broken cistern. Maybe some of our young people don't even know what a cistern is. You know, it's that hole in the ground where the rainwater all ran in, and that was your supply of water in in tough times. Well, he was using that analogy that they built broken cisterns that didn't hold any water. Because whatever they were doing, whatever they were putting their faith in, whatever they were trusting in, wasn't there when you needed it. You know, you and I need to be storing up for ourselves in a cistern, in a secure system, those things that will be there when we need it. And I like to think of that as being a cistern of faith. Putting together our faith in something that's substantial, that will always be there. So, beloved, what's in your cistern today? Well, 71 days after the tragedy in my family's life, someone decided that it was time to come into this world, to come along and be born. I can't imagine that they were singing, oh, happy day at that time. And as I think about that time, from the death of my father, to my birth, I can only imagine what kind of trauma was going through my mother. And my thoughts go to, gee, trauma, she was in terrible trauma. She cried every night, she screamed for weeks, trying to cope with where was she going to go in life. No money, no home, no car, nothing, three kids and another one on the way. Well, I got to thinking, so I went to the Internet. I should have called the doctor here. What are the effects of trauma on the fetus? Well, I googled that. 19,100,000 things came up. So I started reading. Boy, that was depressing. All the way from psychological to severe psychological to all kinds of physical damage. Well, I'm so glad that I sidestepped the psychological damage. Although, I've got family members that think the verdict is still out on that. <laughs> <clears throat> All the way to physical damage. Well, I was born. There were those, I'm told, thought that, well, maybe, maybe he will be stillborn. There were those who said, well, maybe she should adopt. You got three kids, another one on the way. Life is too hard. Well, in fact, there was a family from Bridgewater that came forth and offered their services. But that never materialized. Mom kept us together for some reason. Shortly after that, we moved into town. I spent the next five years in the big town of Yale. We were pretty much free to do whatever we wanted to. My older brothers and sisters, they just ran free. Mom worked as a waitress in the restaurant. And I can't imagine what a waitress earnings would be back then, that she could survive and feed a family of five. But anyway, we grew up in that atmosphere, and I grew up running the streets. Somebody got me a scooter, and I would scoot up and down the streets. The postman called me Scooter one day and Superman the next, I don't know why. But it seemed I spent a lot of time on the west side of the street, on the south side, and if any of you know anything about Yale, that's where the pool hall was. And their door was always open. I was just a little kid, could barely walk, and I entered that pool hall quite often. Boy, I learned a lot of new words in there, and the things that went on. And somehow, I was probably a pastor or a nuisance, and they began to tease me and pester me. Well, I regurgitated some of those words at times. They thought that was funny. Pat me on the head and say, here's a dime, go get a bottle of orange. Well, over the years, I drank enough orange pop to float a ship. My mother never knew that. Well, mother met a man while she was a waitress there. They decided to get married. And that was a marriage of two dysfunctional families. Ours was certainly dysfunctional. And he was as well and as much as he had lost his wife a few months after their son was born. And so, I can tell you that two dysfunctional families do not make a harmonious, happy family. But we survived. Our lives were kind of robotic in that we each did our own thing. I guess the thing that we didn't like was that there was no more freedom. We couldn't run the streets, do what we wanted to. We had to work, and worked hard. We milked 17 cows morning and night. I can't imagine going to school, we didn't bathe all that often. But we learned to work. I remember growing up and having the feeling that I was kind of lost, I was lonely, and I was kind of loveless. Because as long as we were at home, I never saw any affection whatsoever. And I never heard any words of affection. And so maybe that's why I've gone so overboard with my grandkids. I never fail to leave them when I don't say, I love you, you are precious, you are important. You had some really God-given talents. And I didn't have that. Well, we enter the teen years when I saw life as being carefree, and I lived a life which I would describe as living life with reckless abandonment. If you can imagine what that's like. I did all kinds of foolish things. I'd let 15 pounds of air out of the tires, and we'd hop on the railroad tracks and head to here. You know, in that day, the tires were certain width, and you could drive on the railroad tracks, go to town, have lunch, come back. Didn't think about, gee, if I was crossing Ravine Lake Bridge, a train was coming. So we live life that way. Not only that, I even made a statement in the annual that year when I was a senior. They had the, you know, the will and the class testimony and all that. And they had our picture in there and they wanted us to write something down below it. To have some kind of a statement. Well mine was, I want to live fast, love hard, die young and leave a beautiful memory. Now, how twisted can you get for a teenager? I never had one adult in my life ever look at that and say, Wow, you did have some psychological problems from back there with your mother. Not one. Well, I've done a couple of them. I've lived fast. I've loved hard. I'm too old to die young now. So all I can do is try to leave a beautiful memory. And I will sure try to do that. Well, a lot of people in situations will say, where was God? Where was God in that? And they're probably asking that today in in Oregon. They're asking that down in Platte. They're asking it down on the East Coast with all the water. Where's God in all of this? So I decided to look back, and where was he in my life? I think of Jeremiah 1, 5, where he says, Before you were born, I knew you. I knew you before you were born. So God was there. He knew us. Psalm 139, 13 tells me that God, For thou hast possessed my reins, and thou hast covered me in my mother's wounds. In my mother's womb. He has a hold of those reins. And his hand is upon my mother's womb. God was there. And it's like all through life until you get to know him, he's got hold of your reins. I like to think of it as kind of like a bungee cord. You know, you can kind of, God has a road that he wants you to walk on, but you can walk this direction. And you can stretch that bungee cord and go far and far away from God as you want to. But I could see that all along that road as you try to walk away from God that he's pulling on that bungee cord once in a while and things are happening in your life well let me just share a few things of what happened I think it's phenomenal that mother decided to keep us together five of us and try to survive us God must have uh, still within her We've got to keep this family together where was God? I can't tell you how many times my mother used to share, later on, how as a waitress she'd be in there and people would give her a tip, as much as the meal was. God was working in the hearts of people who came there to eat. Not only that, God was working in the hearts of people who stopped at the house. She used to tell me, all oh, those big church members up there, and she's talking about Bethel, she said, they'd stop by the house and they'd drop a 5, a 10, or a 20, and that was a lot of money in those days. God was working in the hearts of people. Somewhere God was touching a life and say, Help out. So if God ever says that to you, I hope you follow through. Where was God? I can think of a couple cases where I was riding in a car. I was just a child, and my 14-year-old aunt was taking care of me, and she set me on a car seat, left the door open. Well, guess what? A little kid, child rolls out, clear out in the road and out the ditch. Where was God. Another time, I was about two years old, and she was taking a sack of potatoes out to her parents in the country, driving an old Model A. I was sitting in the back, and she tells me that she uh, heard me talking back there, "'Auntie, you drive like crazy! You drive too fast!' A short time after that, she crossed over the road. There was a big hunk of gravel there. She lost control, went in the ditch, and tipped over. Somebody right behind us, they were coming up to help her out of the car. Her first thought was, "'Where are the potatoes? Where are the potatoes?' And they said, well, we don't know where your potatoes are, but there's some kid laying over here in the grass. Do you know anything about him? Oh, yeah. Well, where was God? I remember in the third grade, had a teacher who loved the Lord. Her name was Ellen Kleinsasser. Maybe some of you know. Her her dad was Co-op Joe. She loved the Lord. She said, you know, in the third grade, if you memorize John 3.16, you can have a Bible. I memorized John 3.16, got the Bible. And you know, that burned in my heart, that verse that I'll never forget it as long as I live. So when something you learn as a child, you burn it in, and you remember that. It wasn't long after that, that I went to a meeting with my older sister. There was a meeting above a, a grocery store. They called them revival meetings. And once I got there, uh, it was, the house was packed. And some of you might know the names Nelson-Pole and Manning Wallman. Revival meetings being held up there. And apparently my sister decided to walk up at the end where they were singing, Just as I am without plea, but that thy blood was shed and she was, she was moved forward. And Well, I was with her, so naturally I walked up with her and knelt down there at a table. And it got to be quite a while. I kept calling for more and more. And a lot of kids at that time committed themselves. After a while I said, what are we doing up here? She said, Shut up and bow your head. <laughs> so I guess neither one of us were really ready at that time. But you know, God was tapping us on the shoulder. Various times in my life where I, I saw that happen. Another time in particular, I was driving an Alice Shelmer tractor. Unless you're a farmer, you wouldn't know what an Alice Shelmer tractor looks like. But the steering wheel's over here, the seat's over here, and the fender's here. And I went out to get a load of oats one day, and I drove wide open going west, and I had to go south. And I t- turned the corner, and we kind of slid, and I thought, I better hit the brake. So I hit the brake, spun her clear around, and guess what? We were airborne. And in that short time that I was airborne, it felt like somebody was grabbing me in the back of the shirt and slammed me down between the fender and the seat. And I woke up, and I was looking at the stars, and I crawled out underneath that tractor, with the wheel still spinning. So I look back and I say, where was God? God was everywhere in my life up to that time, and He was watching over me. Well, up to that time, I didn't know Him. I said those years were difficult, my high school years, but then a, a blonde caught my eye. A little bitty blonde let me down. Well, I tried to get together with her, but her parents had no, no way was that going to happen. So one day I decided to, she was downtown, I picked her up, gave her a ride home. We got to the yard and Mama Bear was right there. So I rolled down the window and I thought, wow, I'm really going to get it. But she said, she's too young to be going out. There's the road, you go over there and hit the road. Well, we never gave up. We begged and we begged and we begged. And finally she said one day to my amazement, Okay, you can go out with him, but he's got to take you to church. And I said, well, I can play that game. That'll be easy. That's no big deal. And so she took me to church. Well, what I found there was uh, was kind of eye-opening, because when I got there, I saw people that were different, unusual, strange. And that preacher, he was like a Mexican jumping bean on steroids. I wasn't used to that. Brother Ben, you remember those days you were there. Now, don't think that I'm saying bad things about Ben. That he's strange. I came from a background of Catholic one Sunday, Lutheran the next. So I came from a robotic church where we sit down, stand up. Nothing unusual happened. Nothing out of the way. Well, once I got to that church, I found something different. Because when I got there, they opened opened wide the doors to me. And they were sincere about it. Not only that, they opened their hearts to me. I hadn't seen that kind of thing where people opened up their hearts and they shared. Told me a lot of things. Not only that, they opened up God's Word. There were many who taught me in those days of God's Word. Brent's dad, Leland. Walt Glanzer, Penny's dad. Even Ben here taught me a few things in life. Sam Wallman, Jimmy Holm. They opened up their Word to me. And they opened up a Bible that I had never known before. I was walking, like I was walking into another world. Wow, how great. So they opened God's Word. Not only that, they opened up pocketbooks. I couldn't believe this. They sent me to camp. They sent me clear to Washington, DC one year. Anyone else remember riding the train for three days? They sent me. They opened up their homes. There wasn't a night where I wasn't invited at Sunday night to someone's home. They opened up their refrigerators. And you know, a way to a young man's heart is through that. And this pastor, he gave a simple message. A message of ABC. Confess your sins. Believe that Christ died on the cross of Calvary. And ask him into your heart. That's the message he gave. And some of you know this man. Pastor Laverne Hofer. He was a man that I found the Lord under. He told me to get a verse, and so I remembered Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life which I now live, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Well, there are a couple other verses that I'd like to talk about, but time is running past. I love John 11, where it talks about The Father has given them and put them in His hands and nothing will ever take them out. Romans 8, 35 and 38 goes on to talk about what nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. You know, I said that Christ, when you're born, God takes hold of the reins and He's got His hand on you. And at that point in my life, I said, I don't want your hand on me, Lord. I want to be in your hand. I want to be where there's safety and security for all of eternity. And that's where I put my trust And so it was in a Sunday service that Pastor made the call and I went forward and asked Christ to come into my heart. And I can tell you that I lived a life separated from God for so long. So lost, so lonely, and so loveless. And God came in and poured His love over to me like a tsunami. And once you have lived deprived so long in your life and Christ comes in and fills you You never forget it, and your life has changed. So I went from going this direction. I went 160 degrees, go this way. Now you know that it's 180 is complete way. Well, it's taken 50 years for me to try to get from that direction, to be completely in the will of God. And I'm still working on it. Well, I was baptized a few weeks later, down by the James River, And oh, remember that blonde I told you about? Less than a year later, that blonde and I met at the altar, said our I do's. And that was 50 years and six weeks ago. And some people don't believe in miracles. Praise God for who he is. Well, I want to share with you just quickly a few of the things that happen in life, what I call speed bumps and landmines. We think as a Christian, that everything is going to be smooth, that everything's going to go OK. But it doesn't take long that you begin to find some speed bumps where you've got to slow down. It's like the other day I got over to the side a little bit, you get on that rough side, boom boom, 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 boom. Ooh, I've got to get back on straight. And that's what it is with life. God's using it, using situations. But I think things happen for three reasons. Things happen sometimes because of our own stupidity. Our own actions. And I think sometimes God uses people, places, and situations to bring about his will in our lives. And then sometimes I think things happen just because they happen. But it wasn't long before I found out that uh, in 85 we found ourselves in a financial hole that there was no daylight for me. There was no daylight. And finally we saw a light at the end of the tunnel and lo and behold it was a train came at us. And the chaos, and the havoc, and the scars that it wrecked in my my life will be there forever. Three years later, my mother passed away. And there's so many things I'd want to ask her now. Because what happened after my father died? She shut that door, put a padlock on it, and never opened it again. He was never spoken of. I don't know how tall he was. I don't know what he liked. I don't know what he liked to eat or anything. Somehow, she shut that part of her life away. And so, I lost that. So, if you're here today and you have things you want to ask your parent, do it today. Three years later, I experienced the psychological trauma of my life when I stood for 11 and a half hours in the hospital, University of Minneapolis, Minnesota, waiting for my wife to come out of surgery for a radical mastoidectomy. The mastoid bone is here by your ear and your ear sets on that. She had cancer in the ear canal. And the trauma that it left on us and continues to this day, in two weeks, it'll be 24 years that she's dealt with nerve pain and ringing of the ear. And I don't have an explanation for that. So how do we, how do we live with that? Well, it's like the guy that shot an elephant. And the guide said, well, now you have to eat the elephant. He said, how can I do that? Well, one bite at a time. And so it is with us, it's one day at a time. Still looking for for answers, but day by day, looking at God's grace. Three years later, I get a call from my son, who's out in Michigan. He said, I can't get married because I'm having trouble with these thoughts. Well, what is it? Well, something happened when he was a child with a babysitter. And so we had to deal with that issue. And so for a 12-year stretch, there, I was tested and tried, and my cistern was getting pretty low. Well, maybe some of you think, that's more information than you need to know this morning. But I was prompted by my brother Daryl, what he said to me a few months ago. Came out of Sunday school class, and he said, I appreciate getting to know your heart. Why do we wait so long? Daryl? and I have known each other for years that we don't understand our hearts, of what's really important. So I lay out for you this morning my life before Christ and the things that have happened after Christ. And I don't want you to feel sorry for me for not having a dad, for all the trouble in my youth. I don't want you to feel sorry for me for the speed bumps and the landmines I've had in life, or for the surgeries, forgot the surgeries, 19 over the last 60 years, one every three years. I don't want you to feel sorry for me that I want you to look at what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Where was God? He was there all the time. A song I love that we didn't get to sing, but was Ray Bolts' song. My ship has been battered. My sails have been torn. I fall on my knees as I face the raging sea. But my anchor holds. My anchor is in Jesus Christ, folks. My anchor is here. Not only is he my anchor, he's the rock upon which I stand. If you're standing on ground that's sinking sand and life around you is shaking, you don't know what to do, you've got an illness or trouble, go to the rock or go to the lighthouse. He's my lighthouse. He keeps me from the rocks of sin, and when I'm out in the fog and I don't know what to do, I look to the lighthouse. And so he's my anchor, and he's my rock, and he's my lighthouse. Beloved, is he that for you this morning, if he is? Give him an amen in the house of the Lord. That's what he means to me. Well, I want to share with you quickly of what God has done through you in the power of prayer. I haven't thanked you yet, I wanted to take this opportunity, but let me tell you what you have done. Those of you that have lifted up my name before the throne, I think God took that name and He grabbed an angel and He said, one of our servants needs an angel. You've heard of the show, Touched by an Angel? Beloved, this last seven, eight months I was touched by a hundred angels. I felt all kinds of touches. And when you feel the touch of God, you feel His presence. And when you feel his presence, you feel his peace. And when you feel his peace, you feel his power. And when you feel his power, you begin to feel a purpose in your life. And that's what you did for me. And when you begin to look for purpose in things that happen to you, you take time to ask God into your life. You're studying God's word and you're listening. And the more you do that, it sends you back around until you feel the presence of God and you feel his peace and his purpose. And as you do that in life, guess what spins off it? You spin off the praises of God. So thank you for what you've done. I had some dark days. The darkest day when when my daughter brought home a a walking thing. A walker. You know what my thought was? Next chair is a wheelchair, and then the nursing home. And then a casket. I was going down that road so far. On my phone, I have a picture of a casket that I wanted. But, beloved, your prayers that I felt, you lifted me. You freed me. I felt his presence and his peace and his power. God gives you power. Have you ever felt that with somebody? You know somebody's praying for you. Well, that's what happened to me. I so much appreciate it briefly a few tips in a time of tragedy to survive make sure your anchor holds make sure your anchor holds you're anchored in the Word of God that's the only thing in this life that I know will keep you from the winds of the world make sure you're connected to the fountain of living water make sure you're plugged in the third thing is keep your cistern full of faith. Make sure you're adding to that cistern that is full, so that when someone else needs something, you can grab a little something, a little faith from your cistern and go to them and surround them with your arms. Well, the last thing I want to tell you is a little story. Story of a frog. Frogs were jumping around one day and one of them fell, fell in a pail of milk. It was half full. And he was in there paddling away, you know, he couldn't get out. Unfortunately, he was hard of hearing, couldn't see very well. So he paddled away, got tired, so he looked up. Oh, there were a bunch of other frogs around there. They were waving their arms and yelling. And he thought they were encouraging him. So he took that as an encouragement, so he continued to paddle. He'd get tired, he'd paddle some more. And he'd paddle for hours and hours, and he'd look up, and they were still encouraging. Finally, one day, he realized he was on solid ground. He was able to jump out of the pail. Somebody said, well, how come you were still going? Why didn't you wear out? He said, well, I had all these people encouraging me and cheering me on. Somebody said, well, they were laughing at you and making fun of you. The moral of the story is to surround yourself with Bible-believing, godly praying men and women who can cheer you on in the time of trouble. And that's what you were for me. I praise God for you. I mentioned my Sunday School class that I am constantly trying to listen more to God and to the Spirit. <clears throat> and over the years, God has spoken me in a way that I'd never heard before. So I, I got out of bed one night, the middle of the night, it was January 2001, and I wrote on this piece of paper a little poem. Now, I'm not a poet, and I know it, my wife knows it. But God gave me these words, and I guess it sort of sums up what my life is all about. It goes, my Lord, and my family, and my boat. All these in this life have kept me afloat. But it's to Jesus alone that I now look. Because of him and Calvary, my name's in the book. Amen, and thank you. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda. MB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in Boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Hero. Have a blessed day.